This is Current Yield, and I am Jim Grant, and welcome to Grant's Interest Rate Observer of the Air. Joining me today, as always, Eric Whitehead, who is at the podcast control panel, and uh, the great Evan Lorenz, the deputy editor of Grant's. Gentlemen, now welcome to our podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to our welcome. And Evan, it seems to me we have some uh, timely topics to discuss today. I'm thinking, first of all, the Fed is embarking, indeed, and Monday did embark on a year-long listening tour. It's going to find out from the American people what they want out of their monetary policy masters. And that's one topic. And a second topic, of course, might be, uh, well, Bill Gross. He has opened up to Bloomberg and through Bloomberg to us. And it is, I think the ball is now in our court, is it not? I I think it's only fair. Yeah. And uh, I should also mention, in addition to these two timely topics, we are sponsored by ZipRecruiter, which is the place to go when you need help. And who doesn't need help? Yeah. Who doesn't need help? And um, we are sponsored also, and not least, by uh, Grant's Interest Rate Observer, which is the, kind of the hometown paper around here, and especially by our conference on April 9th, which is going to be merely terrific, and I'll get into the details of that presently. But, Evan, first up is the Fed's listening tour. Now, when people listen, do they simultaneously talk? Not as I understand it. And looking at the Fed, they, they can't shut up. No, no, they can't. Well, I guess if you are um, holding forth in a podcast, you really can't complain too much about people holding forth. But the Fed, uh, you know, there was a time when um, discretion was thought to be one of the prime monetary policy virtues. In the old days, uh, classical central banks, gold standard era, would um, conscientiously say nothing, but rather let their interest rates and their balance sheet do the talking for them. But now it's uh, kind of the uh, talking monetary system. What are they going to say? Well, what what they want to hear is, uh, I think, what they are doing well. And now they say they want a a constructive criticism, but Evan, uh, you're a married man, are you not? Yeah, uh, since 2006. All right. Now, when somebody near and dear comes to you, and let us just say, hypothetically, that someone has uh, has written a a sonnet, could happen, and uh, a person says, uh, Evan, uh, would you take a look at this, give it a read, and just tell me what you think. No, don't hold back. Look, I'm I'm a big person. I'm an adult, and um, just tell me exactly what you think about this piece of poetry? That sonnet is awesome. Yeah. But you didn't read it, did you? Oh, no. No. See, I think this is the the not-so-transparent theme of this listening tour is uh, we're not going to listen to you. There is a professor or was a professor at uh, Columbia, Richard H. Clarida, who was a very formidable character, very uh, University of Illinois alumnus, uh, Harvard PhD, most adept at uh, quantitative economics and uh, does one of these these models he does how are these dynamic econometric dynamics stochastic general equilibrium model yes he is one of the uh, people on that particular project those are the models that famously did not predict any problems in the last crisis right yes well in in fairness to the model builders they neglected to uh, drop in the financial sector that's not important is it no no so Former Professor Clarita is now the vice chairman of the Federal Reserve Board. You can think of him, in effect, Evan and Eric, as the kind of the Mike Pence of monetary policy. He is there to uh, explain and assent and not to dissent. I think that's fair. So he says, uh, he uh, gave a speech on February 22nd. He said that that the central bank is undertaking a top-to-bottom reappraisal of the way it does business. Well, high time, right? We think around here at Grants. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then he said this. He said, quote, the fact that the... Federal Reserve System is conducting this review does not suggest we are dissatisfied with the existing policy framework. Now, for peace sake. Then why go through the motions? Well, you know why? Uh, no. No, nor do I. But I, I gather they are going, this uh, band of merry men and women, they're going to Chicago in June. 
Yeah, if I have my dates right, it is, what is it? Uh, June 4th through uh, through 5th. 4th through 5th, okay. So are the Cubs at home? Eric, are the Cubs at home on June 4th and 5th? Check it, would you? All right. Uh, as Eric Whitehead checks the old schedule, National League schedule, we're gonna, I, I'm going to conjecture that the Cubs are home for two big, fat, sunny day games at, uh, at sun-drenched Wrigley Field. And that's the reason why they're having this conference there. But be that as it may, they are going to convene people who are knowledgeable about monetary affairs to conduct, you know, to do this uh, kind of survey of the way the Fed's operating. And do they ask you to attend? No, no. I, I live in New York, though. I don't think the Fed wants to, to foot the plane fare. I wonder if they ask Jim Bianco. That is a good question. Yeah. Eric, when you get finished checking the Cubs schedule, would you mind calling Jim Bianco and find out if he copped an invitation to this uh, parlay? Anyway. Maybe you can uh, bring a plus one. <laughs> Yeah. Um, anyway, I, what did we bring this up for? I know we brought this up because we do have some constructive criticisms of the Fed. And I think that and as the better angels of that organization are prepared to listen. I hope you're listening right now. You ready? I've got a couple. First of all, I would like to remind the Fed, this particular Fed, of something that uh, the longest serving Fed chairman said in August of 1955. That was William McChesney Martin, of course. And here's what he said, quote, we can never recapture the purchasing power of the dollar that has been lost. And this was in the service of setting his face against any positive rate of inflation. And what was interesting about the time of this quote, August 55, wait a second, we got a June 4th and 5th. They're home. They are home. Well, what time does the game start? 7.05. <laughs> Sorry? 7.05. Oh, yeah. Seven, Eric says 7.05, so that's a, a little heretical night baseball at Wrigley. So, okay. so, so I'm guessing the, uh, the conference ends at 5. That gives them enough time to get uptown. Yeah, a little um, – I'm not sure if uptown is a phrase. But uh, you know better than I um, Evan went to school at the University of Chicago, as you can tell from his authoritative voice. How about the fifth, Eric? Who are they, pl- who are they playing? The Rockies. Well, that would be a good game or two. So anyway, they're in Chicago to, to see the Cubs-Rockies and also to conduct um, this kind of show trial about their own fabulous monetary policy. And they're not going to invite Jim Bianco. So we know what Jim's going to say. But here's what we're going to say right now. We're going to say, uh, harking back to William and Chesney Martin, that you can never recapture the purchasing power of the dollar that has been lost. And, and the significance of this quote is, A, he said in August of 1955, parenthetically, the Dodgers were on their way to winning the National League flag. Right, Eric? Yes, and the first ever World Series in Brooklyn. That, however, as I say, is parenthetical. The monetary significance of the summer of 55 was that marked the end of 12 consecutive months, if memory serves, of year-over-year declines in the CPI. Deflation, Evan. And still, Martin comes out and says, we're not going to suffer any inflation because you can never recapture that purchasing power that's been lost. So, uh, well, what we think, what we think here at Grants, we have some opinions. And then Evan's going to help us with a fact or two. But our opinions might be boiled down to some of these, that ultra-low, artificially induced interest rates never fail to store up trouble. They facilitate leverage. They promote not growth, but just bigger, fatter balance sheets. And we would opine further that the central bank is playing with fire by actively seeking, as it does, to depreciate the dollar by 2% a year. This is a currency that whatever its current lofty status in the world is a piece of paper of notifying value. And finally, or semi-finally, because we're never done, it is our opinion the Federal Reserve should at least consider the appealing course of action of letting the market alone. What are the odds of that one, Evan? That's so exciting. I mean, yeah. So what they, what they are fiddling with now, what they're playing this game of tonsil tennis, that's to invoke the memory of uh, Chairman Martin, who was a quite accomplished amateur tennis player. But the Fed is, uh, is uh, tossing around the notion of playing a kind of a catch-up with inflation. So if inflation comes in too low, 
in the recessionary portion of the cycle. So if they, they target 2%, so if it comes in at 1%, that means the next year they need to get 3%. So it's kind of a flip of a McChesney-Martin where you can never recover the debasement that's happened. It's we need to recover the debasement that didn't happen. Correct. Now, Evan, have you done some historical research on this? Yeah. Uh, listeners? I, I, w- I wanted to give this up it, its full shot and see what the Fed's track record has been. So the CPI index begins in 1913, and coincidentally, the Fed begins in 1913. The index at that time was 9.8. Today, it is 251.7. If you do the compound annual uh, growth over those 106 years, that's 3.1%. Now, let's take the Fed seriously what it's going to do, which is, you know, try to make up for past debasement or, you know, if inflation's too high, maybe make up for that as well. That means they're actually 1.1% in the good for the next 100 years. So they only need to target 1%. Oh, that must be great news for them. Fabulous news. Makes the job easier. All right. Well, so much to the listening tour. Although, come to think of it, Evan... Maybe the Fed had its best listening tour in December. Yeah, I, I think it kind of began and ended in December when they turned on CNBC, saw the stock market falling, freaked out, and changed all their plans. <laughs> yeah, so you you wonder, I guess you especially wonder, Evan, what would happen if the Fed had lost its uh, CNBC feed anyway. So anyway, have we have we uh, finished this assault on the Fed? I, I never feel as if we're finished, but maybe we can, we can leave some for the next time. Hiring is harder today than it has been in a while because... Um, Qualified candidates have been, having been qualified, are working with someone else. So this can take a long time. You put out a request for new help, too many applicants, the wrong kind of applicant. This is how ZipRecruiter makes things work. ZipRecruiter.com slash grant is the money URL. ZipRecruiter.com slash grant. So um, hiring used to be hard, but uh, today hiring can be easy, and you only have to go to one place to get it done. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 different of the web's leading job boards, but... It doesn't stop there. With its powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash grant. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash grant. I'm supposed to spell out grant. I can do that. I've had a life experience doing this. Ready? G-R-A-N-T. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Meantime, Why don't we announce a listening tour? Yeah, or a, a typing tour. We do that every two weeks, and it's coming up. We got an issue grants due on on uh, Tuesday. I think we go to press. In fact, I now I, I said I think I know we go to press on Tuesday. Um, I would like to say a kind word for Grant's interest rate observer. I, I know it's a little bit uh, predictable, perhaps, but um, it indeed is necessary. Now we're having a conference, our spring conference at the Plaza Hotel in New York on April 9th. and uh, I'm not going to get into the personalities of the speakers in this very brief public service announcement. I'm just going to talk about the topics. And Evan, I want you to think about these subjects and try to imagine not being present to hear about them. All right. Mm-hmm. Here's one that, uh, so Grants is, is uh, it's interest rate observer is in the name, but eclectic is the spirit, right? Oh, yeah. Evan, I'm, I, I love it when you agree. And, uh, I'm not going to ask for any constructive criticism either. We can say that for later, like a lot later. Anyway, so we're going to hear about the art market. Now, the art market is kind of a, a speculative uh, windsock, right? I mean, it, it, it tells you what the big shots are doing with their money. And uh, anyway, it is very much a... Part of the 
of the mosaic of present-day speculative activity of the, uh, of the everything bubble. Uh, we're going to hear for, about uh, worldwide monetary disorder, a very contrary take on that. We're going to hear about inflation from the point of view of hyperinflation. How do you start one? How do you stop one? And to that end, we're going to hear more about if our rate of inflation now settling in seemingly permanently at 2% might choose to go either down or up in a significant fashion. We're going to hear about today's interest rates in the context of 3,000 years of interest rate history to show how unusual this rate structure is and what the future might hold for it. We are equally going to hear about this notion that, you know, stocks for the long run, stocks for the long run. Got to own stocks, have to own stocks. Well, yes, except is that the verdict of financial history? We're going to hear about that, too. Anyway, I can't begin. I guess I have begun to tell you how fabulous it's going to be. And now I'm going to stop telling you how fabulous because I, I can sense the impatience of the listeners wanting to hear about Bill Gross. Oh, one thing. So we're, we're going to talk about how to start hyperinflation. Is Are any of the Fed chiefs who are on their listening tour who want to create more inflation coming? I, I, I don't think they've signed up yet, but it's still early days. And by the way, if they are on the road, uh, they started off this listening tour in Dallas. And uh, you know, they kind of in a showy kind of way, they went to three of the poorest zip codes around Dallas and kind of empathized with the... Uh, uh, the poor people, and uh, told them that uh, they're all for employment. They think that employment's a good thing. Oh, is, you know, they, they come to think of it, are they fostering employment with this low interest rate policy? They would say yes, but we have to look at the consequences of what easy money and uh, low rates actually do. They keep alive companies that are kind of marginally productive, who may barely earn enough money to cover their interest or maybe not cover their interest. These zombie companies tend not to invest. They, they tend not to hire people. They tend to lower productivity. Low rates also allows bigger companies to acquire smaller companies and over time, uh, there's been academic research that I know that you've seen that seems to indicate that um, this leads to lower productivity, lower growth, and kind of lower activity overall. Yeah. They, they bemoan and bewail the fact that we've had low business creation this cycle, that um, productivity has been declining. A lack of dynamism. A lack of dynamism. But they've never really asked, why is this so, and are we contributing to it? I think that uh, introspection is no more a characteristic of our Federal Reserve masters than is uh, self-awareness. I guess two are related. Are you paying too much to uh, send out packages and letters? And wouldn't it be nice to have a solution that can give you the lowest rate? Well, with SendPro Online, it's easy to save money and time, no matter what you send, from packages to overnights and letters. You know, just compare USPS, I guess that's the post office, UPS, and FedEx rates, all in one online tool. Also, gain access to special USPS savings for letters and priority mail shipping. Without print shipping labels and stamps from your own printer, track all of your shipments and get email notifications when they have arrived. So I've come now to the call to action. And here it is. Send Pro Online is only $14.99 a month. That's $14, not $14 trillion or something. $14.99 a month. And for being a current yield listener, you can get a free 30-day trial to get started, plus a free 10-pound scale to help you accurately weigh your packages. Well, that's 10 pounds, a lot of scale. So visit... Uh, pb.com slash grantspod to access this special offer. That's pb as in what? Pity bows. pb.com slash grantspod, G-R-A-N-T-S-P-O-D. Experience the better way to ship with a free trial SendPro online. Anyway, uh, I think it's time for Bill Gross, is it not? When is it never not time for Bill Gross? Well, it's, uh, it, uh, Bill Gross is, 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 is about to become a non-public person. 
and therefore is soon, in fact, imminently, I guess, to be uh, properly and justly finished with his life's work, which has been very constructive for his investors and I think very gratifying for him. Certainly, it's been uh, one of the great careers on Wall Street. So well done, Bill Gross. Who, by the way, in full disclosure, he's been a lifetime or a long time, long time subscriber to Grants, and he's spoken at least, I think, one conference at which he's shown. So well done, Bill. Also, he is a, a swift boat sailor in Vietnam. He didn't talk about that much, but that's also to his credit. So Bill Gross gave this interview with Bloomberg. I think it's, it's on Bloomberg. I think it's, it's probably going to be on YouTube sooner or later. I think it was, it was, it was uh, televised. And uh, Bloomberg says, quote, even after, the one, if, even after one of the most storied careers in financial markets, Bill Gross has a few surprises left. For one, he's been diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome, the autism spectrum disorder. And uh, Bill's 74 years old. And I'm, I'm okay, I'm two years behind him. I'm 72. And I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to make this declaration. I don't want to know. I, I'm not going to go finding out from somebody if I've got some darn syndrome. I, I expect I do. But I just, you know, it's, it's like your family tree. Do you really want to find out? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I guess there's pros and cons. What do you think, Eric? Do you want to find out? No. No. What good comes of it? Anyway, so anyway, this, this uh, uh, but but this, the, 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 to me, the interesting thing about this story, about this, uh, this this sharing of bills, is that he has totally revised his views on public policy. He now says that uh, he's a near convert to this modern, modern monetary theory business, and he says deflation poses a huge challenge to central banks, and he admires what Japan has done to revive its moribund economy. Now, wait a second. Japan has been doing this for 20 years. Is there, let's see, moribund more abunder? I guess more, more, more abundant, I guess is the word. I actually found it funny that he was praising Japan because uh, the Bank of Japan has so interfered with the uh, JGB market, the Japanese government bond market. It's killed it. That there's a day, whole days where like the benchmark like tenure will not trade. I they, mean, that, that's they, kind of an issue for a guy who, in his job, buys bonds. Well, Bill Gross made his career in the world of price discovery. And he is heaping praise upon an organization that has successfully snuffed out price discovery in Japan and is certainly not uh, supporting it outside Japanese territorial waters. Oh, my goodness. I mean, the Bank of Japan goes buys these ETFs, thereby making a nonsense out of equity valuations. It has destroyed the JGB market. So anyway, Bill, Bill thinks, finds a lot to like in that, and he thinks the U.S. government should consider doubling the size of its deficit. Well, I think that's advice the U.S. government doesn't need. I think that the U.S. government is well on its way to that the next recession. I think we're looking at a $2 trillion number. In the next I, I think they already uh, managed to double their deficit last year, almost, in the yeah. last. So uh, anyway, I, um, I was flattered and, uh, and not, you know, kind of fake annoyed um, uh, when he invoked my name in this interview. He says, so uh, he's asked uh, why can't, or I guess he's rhetorically asking, why can't the government have a $2 trillion deficit if the Fed is simply going to buy it like they do in Japan? Gross said, well, Jim Grant would say, hmm, it would be inflationary, close quote. I, I take offense to that because I've never heard you say mm to anything. Right, you can't say mm. Although um, what people don't know about me is that my first, second, third, and fourth, and tenth drafts have a lot of mm's or the typing equivalent thereof. But um, I, I think in fairness to the House view, certainly in fairness to my view, is that yes, at first I thought these things would be inflationary. That was wrong. That is the uh, QE and allied policies. But I think that I have subsequently come to have a the more helpful view uh, that, uh, that what interest rate suppression and QE do is to disturb the structure of things and to foster the kind of asset inflation that leads to the misallocation of resources, to speculative excess, 
in particular, to the heaping of debt upon debt, and then to a crisis that leads to a further intervention such that the Fed's true dual mandate, Bill Gross, listen please, is that of arsonist and fireman. And in fact, we've written a lot of stuff on uh, microeconomic analysis looking at sectors like the restaurant industry or grocery stores where too much capital means too many new stores or too many new units or too many new factories get built and this new capacity actually ends up driving down prices. Right. So perversely, right. the Fed in trying to achieve higher inflation can, in many, many industries, and we pointed this out numerous times over the years, can actually lead to lower inflation, lower returns on capital, lower productivity, and the kind of problems that we're seeing in some academic research is popping up. And I say um, the Fed might also uh, have something to do with the tone of our politics, which is another discussion, another podcast. But, you know, um, uh, Uber is talking about going public, right? And it's, it's, uh, Wall Street is full of uh, these fabulous numbers, $115 billion initial market cap, some people have been saying. But I think Uber's an example of, of an enterprise that has benefited by substantially free capital. It's an exaggeration that uh, I think warranted in its substantive facts. So point survives the exaggeration. So think of what happens when these, uh, uh, these unicorns get funded with venture capital at uh, very low at very low cost, very low interest rates. Well, they, they displace others. They uh, create a highly consumer-centric product. We all enjoy standing on a street corner and summoning an Uber and, uh, and getting whisked away. And uh, Who doesn't love a subsidized product? So Uber loses money on every single ride that people take on it. It's unit economic negative. Loses massive amounts of money, which means that we as consumers are paying less than a product cost. Who doesn't love it when somebody gives you money to buy a product? Well, who doesn't love it are the uh, legacy uh, vendors, in this case, the yellow cab companies. Yeah, and also um, public transit. Uh, it's actually leading to declines in public transit around the country and around the world, which is actually leading to some um, actual structural problems. Yeah. So anyway, Bill Gross, um, yeah, inflationary. Uh, but we have made distinctions and we have, um, I think, laid out a very, we think at least, a very a substantive and perhaps persuasive case uh, that this uh, uh, nonstop suppression of rates, nonstop meddling, nonstop Batinskyism of these insufferable, self-satisfied, over-trained, under-educated, ignorant sophisters at the Federal Reserve are doing net substantial damage to our republic and to our system of enterprise. That's our line. Bill Gross. And by the way, Bill, congratulations on a great career, and thank you for what you've done for grants. So, uh, Eric, thank you. Excellent work with that schedule. And uh, Evan, thank you. As always. You know what we should do now? We should go back to our desk and type, because that's what we do for a living. This talking business is just, ladies and gentlemen, just a sideline. But I think we have two podcasts next week. No? I think we do. So, uh, that's even more talking. So, thank you for joining us, ladies and gentlemen. This is Jim Grant on behalf of Current Yield Grants Interest Rate Observer of the Air. 